I want to share with you a couple things, and this is just a couple, mind you, that the Lord has been doing in my life the last couple weeks as I've been praying in this respect and preparing for this message on the secret of greatness, which is humility. About a week ago, a bunch of us went out to coffee and whatnot after the Sunday evening service at JB's. I was sitting around a table with five or six or seven of my friends and some people that I didn't know. And a guy came up to me and he said to me, Mark, the first time I ever visited Calvary Chapel, you were speaking. And I thought you were the pastor. And he said, I could not stay awake. He said, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And when he left, he told his friends he would never come back. Well, the Lord did a number on him because that was way back last August, and I happened to be speaking again last January. And guess when he came back? And some of you may have been here. I spoke about men as trees walking. We're talking about not really understanding the things of the Spirit very well. You know what he said? (laughs) To this day, I do not understand what you were trying to say that morning. (laughs) And to top it off, everybody at the table, friends and people I didn't even know, just laughed. (laughs) Nobody did anything but laugh at me. Now, couple that with the fact that I'm already dealing with a degree of anxiety about trying to fill skip shoes for a week or so. His is a tough act to follow. And I think another aspect of what was happening is the enemy was really trying to do a number on me to try and rip me off. But (laughs) I was going to say on a more comical note, but you all thought that was pretty funny anyway. (laughs) On a more comical note... The other day, someone decided to steal my towel at Nautilus Fitness Center. (laughs) Only it was after I'd gotten into the shower. It wasn't before. (laughs) And uh, I know the Lord says to humble yourself, but (laughs) when it's just you and your skin, I wasn't about to go out into the pool area to find out who took my towel. The Bible also says, Thou shalt not steal. (laughs) But I took someone else's towel. (laughs) I I just really couldn't stand to have all of those people watching me put my clothes on this wet body and wonder what on earth I was doing. So And it was a gold towel, and it looked like mine, so I figured somebody picked it up by mistake, so I just borrowed his. <laughs> that is just the tip of the iceberg, folks. I mean, the Lord has just been wiping me out lately, teaching me humility. And actually, this morning, I really do hope to encourage you to begin to pray for humility. And again, I want to preface this by sharing with you that this is an area that the Lord has been teaching me about, And I hope that this morning that what I have to share will pierce your hearts and challenge you to be willing to learn humility before the Lord. And 
I don't really intend this to be an exhaustive Bible study on, on humility. I just want to share with you more about what the Lord has been speaking to me and more or less prompt you to begin to ask Him to teach you about humility because He's the best one for that job. Humility, I believe, as the Bible says, is the secret of greatness. I believe it is the foundational virtue to all other Christian virtues. Without humility, you cannot accept Jesus Christ because in humility you must admit that you're a sinner and that you're in need of Him. And without humility, you cannot work for God or do His work because the Bible says that the work of God is to believe on Him and to recognize that apart from Him, you can do nothing. So I'd like to begin this morning by asking you to just open your hearts to the possibility of being challenged to learn more about humility. It's a painful process. I think most of us could relate to it more as the fact that it's the opposite of pride and pride we know much more about. But this morning I want to begin by looking at Jesus, our ultimate example, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5, which says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. In verse 6, it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to, equal, to be equal with God. Actually, Jesus Christ is the only person, the only man that ever lived that it could equate himself with God, claim that I and the Father are one and to get away with it. In actually more significant to the subject of humility, what this literally means is that for our sakes, he did not consider it a thing to be held on to. Jesus Christ, complete in the Godhead, did not consider it a thing to be held on to for our sakes. And he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Literally, that means that he emptied himself like a pitcher, turned upside down until the very last drop is poured out, and was made in the likeness of men. In verse 8, And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now Jesus, God, having humbled himself and became a man, you would think would be enough for him to step down from that high place. But he went beyond that. He went further and he became a servant of all, which still wasn't enough. He died a hideous death on the cross for our sins. God himself coming down from heaven, divesting himself of a degree of his power, making him dependent upon the Father, being subject to the same weaknesses and frailties as you and I, served his entire life, 
serving other people. And then he hung on a cross naked and ashamed, beaten and falsely accused, never opened his mouth to defend himself. From God to man, from the highest to the lowest, from the author of life to the final chapter of life, a hideous death, and from a place in glory to a place in agony. That is what Jesus Christ did for you. If you can allow that type of love to come home to your hearts, you will never, ever, ever question God's true intentions toward you. If you can comprehend what that means. Now, allow, if you can, the Holy Spirit to sort of take you back in your mind's eye into the annals of eternity, sort of a Star Wars hyperspace journey in your imagination. And see if you can perhaps imagine the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit complete in the Godhead, needing no one, completely self-sufficient, as we contrast that incredible example of humility with what we are. Because he stepped down from that place for us, having everything and yet giving up all for our sakes. I'd like to contrast that with what we are, what we have to give up, and how we act in comparison. And I think you're probably all beginning to feel a little bit uncomfortable already. I'd like to use a visual aid to bring home this point. Now, they say that you shouldn't do things like this, but then I haven't met them. And I guess one of the advantages of not having gone to seminary is that maybe you can get away with things like this. Sort of breaking from tradition. But I feel very strongly in visual aids, and I think that it will help you to recall this lesson beyond today. And that's the whole purpose of Bible study. It's not just to come and be blessed and convicted and then go away and forget what manner of men we are. But I'd like to employ a visual aid, and I, I don't want to offend anyone, but I am going to employ some Im imagery which your mind may revolt against at first. And just so you know that I'm not making this up myself, I'll share with you ahead of time that this is found in Ezekiel chapter 16, and we'll turn to it later. But I'd like to bring up Steve and his little baby, Justin, right now for just a moment. And I'd like you to just take a good long look at this little baby. This is Justin. He's three months old basically pretty helpless. He's in his daddy's arms. He's hungry and he can't feed himself. Left to himself, he would perish. But go back even three months before today when he was first born and consider that his mother had given him birth out in the dusty fields of the West Mesa. 
And lying there in the filth of the afterbirth and the dirt mixed with it, being uncleansed and without care, what do you think his chances of survival would be? Thank you, Steve. That is the way the Bible depicts our state in sin apart from Jesus Christ. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 16, please. Every time I see a baby now, I'm reminded of this, and it helps me to come more humbly before the Lord. And that's my intention with using that visual aid. I hope that it will do the same for you. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. I'd like to preface this first because we want to make sure that this scripture is taken in context and applied properly. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are of the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother an Hittite. Now, In the context, this is being addressed to Jerusalem. In effect, it's to the inhabitants of Jerusalem because the people actually represent the city. I also believe this to be, however, typical of our state in sin apart from Jesus Christ. And I believe that this is a foreshadowing of what we are apart from Him. And as we read on, we'll find out what He has done for us. But... View this as a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ is to us and what we are before him apart from him. Verse 4. As for your nativity and the day when you were born, your navel was not cut, neither were you washed in water to cleanse you, and you were not salted at all nor swaddled at all. No eye pitied you to do any of these unto you, to have compassion upon you, but you were cast out in the open field to the loathing of your person in the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. Yea, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. The imagery of what we are apart from Jesus Christ hopeless, unable to care for ourselves, desolate, and without His mercy and His grace, destined to perish. Now as we read on, we'll see what Jesus has done for us. And we'll see that what we have, He's given us. That's why I shared this morning to give the glory to God for this chrome back here because he's the one that gave us the able bodies and the ability to do what we did yesterday. In verse 7 it says, But I have caused you to multiply as the bud of the field, and you have increased and become great, and you you are come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned, and your hair is grown, whereas you are naked and bare. In other words, he's taking them into his care and he's begun to wash them and he did wash them 
and he's causing them mature, which speaks of the fact that their breasts are fashioned. He's allowing them to grow up in maturity and relationship with him. Now, when I passed by you and looked upon you, behold, your time was a time of love. Recognize that your time with the Lord is a time of love. The bottom line is that he loves you and he's done these things for you. And I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore unto you and entered into a covenant with you, said the Lord God, and you became mine. Find your identity in the fact that you belong to him. In the Song of Solomon, it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That is all you need for security, for self-confidence, for self-esteem, and for self-worth. Find your life hid in Christ. Don't seek your identity in other places. Don't build your life on sandy land when the storms come that will destroy it. But build it upon the fact that you are His and He loves you with an everlasting love. Then washed I you with water. Yes, I thoroughly washed away your blood from you and I anointed you with oil. Speaking of the fact that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and He sent His Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can live lives free from sin. I clothed you also with embroidered work, which speaks of the fact that God takes great care and skill in building us up and maturing us in Him and causing our lives to develop spiritually before Him. And shod you with badger's skin, which was actually a soft, pleasant kind of a a skin that was actually they wore on their feet. It, It spoke of leisure and rest. There is no rest apart from Him. There remains, therefore, a rest unto the people of God. Jesus Christ has purchased that rest for us. And he's speaking of this when he says that he made them and shod them with badger skin. And I covered you about with fine linen, and I covered you with silk. The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, as it speaks of in Revelation chapter 19. Cleansed from our filth and sin and hopelessness, given righteousness, security and a reason to live and somebody to live for and to love for. I decked you also with ornaments and I put bracelets upon your hands and a chain on your neck and I put a jewel in your nose which speaks of the fact that he's being wedded to these people as you and I are the bride of Christ and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown upon your head. You are also decked with gold and silver, and gold speaks of deity and silver speaks of redemption. And he's speaking of the fact that he gives us Christ's likeness and he redeems us with his blood. And your raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered work. You did eat fine flour and honey and oil. And you were exceedingly beautiful and you did prosper into a kingdom. And your renown went forth among the nations for your beauty For it was perfect through my splendor which I had put upon you, says the Lord God. What they have and what they had become was a result of His work and grace and the gifts that He'd bestowed upon their lives. And we saw that they started out in a reprehensible, disgusting state and sin, hopeless, and yet were built up by Him to the point 
where they were beautiful and their renown went forth among all of the nations. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing for us today. Notice verse 15. But you did trust in your own beauty. They took the credit. They forgot their meager beginnings. They didn't realize what God had done for them. They had left their first love. In 1 Corinthians 4.7, for a New Testament equivalent of this, Paul says, What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God has not given you? And if you all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great? and as though you have accomplished something on your own. Jesus said, let me ask you this before, how many of you believe that the word of God is true? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Do you know that that means that you can't get up out of bed in the morning and put your clothes on without His help? Without me, you can do nothing. That covers it all. Now, He doesn't have to go through great lengths and miraculous events in order to get us to clothe ourselves, but our breath is in His hands. and By Him, all things consist and are held together. Without me, you can do nothing. And we forget that. We think we're humble before the Lord. We think we've got our hearts right. But there's this little pride issue that sneaks in, and it's so subtle that oftentimes we don't even recognize it. Having seen all-sufficient God and yet His humility, how is it that non-sufficient, hopeless man, apart from God, can reject his spouse because she's gained 30 pounds, refuse to forgive someone because of some petty offense that amounts to nothing, or even more absurd, why is it so dreadfully painful for us to admit our weaknesses one to another? Why is it so dreadfully painful to make an error in front of a bleacher full of people? It's no big deal. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Why are we afraid to take our shirts off in the summertime until we've procured that beautiful copper-toned town in the privacy of our own backyards? They can see me with a tan, but not without one. <laughs> Same person, inside and out. Or why on earth is it always a faulty binding that causes us to dive headlong into a snowbank? All these excuses that we have with our friends when we go skiing, lousy bindings. <laughs> couldn't be my fault. I couldn't have dug a tip in. No. Isn't that ridiculous in light of these things? But see, we don't meditate on these things and give ourselves wholly unto them. We don't recognize these things on a daily basis. Jesus 
complete in the Godhead in the eternities, stepped down and became a man, served all and died on the cross. While we're running around building little altars to ourselves, little facades that we present before people, and we're enticing people to bow down and worship us by not being humble and honest before one another. What an incredible contrast. And how well that brings home to our hearts the deep love and commitment of God to us, the things He puts up with. Incredible. The disciples had the same problem. You're not the Lone Ranger. And the Lord put up with it, and He dealt with it. And we don't need to turn there, but in John chapter 13... Let me just share with you a little story about what was going on. Jesus, aware of his soon death, getting ready also to present his high priestly intercessory prayer, devoted completely to almost his followers and those of us through the annals of time, completely selfish in its motivation. Jesus, aware of his soon death, Jesus having all power and authority, Jesus knowing that the Father had delivered all things into his hands, Jesus having the secret of greatness, humility, just prior to his going to the cross, did what? Did he get up and say how great he was? Did he build an altar to himself and say, worship me, bow down? He girded himself and washed the disciples' feet. Beyond that, he honored the one who was to betray him. It was a custom that the one to whom the sop was dipped and given to first was the honored guest. And he did that for Judas Iscariot just before he betrayed him. Meanwhile, and turn here with me to Luke chapter 22. Verse 24. It's the same scene, different text. They go together. It's not John, it's Luke, but it's the same scene. The disciples, mind you, having already been instructed about the secret of greatness, in the midst of this scene where Jesus Christ, about to go to the cross, is washing their feet and honoring the one to betray Him, of all things, renew their strife over who should be the greatest. Incredible contrast. Verse 24. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he that is chief is he that does serve. 
For which is greater, he that dines or he that serves, is not he that dineth, but I am among you as he that serves. Incredible contrast. And they're disputing about who should be greater. Jesus Christ, in consistency with the scriptures in Philippians, in his humility, is about to pour out his last drop making himself of no reputation, taking the picture of his life and turning it upside down until the last drop is poured out and the disciples are frantically running around trying to find a faucet to fill theirs with pride. Do you know that each and every one of them was capable of betraying him? And the reason that the strife arose among them was because they disputed about who it would be And then they got into this big discussion about who is the greatest in general. Had they been humble before the Lord, they would have been scared to death that they had the capacity within them to betray Him. And it very well could have been any one of them. The Bible says, If any man thinks that he stand, let him take heed lest he fall. Being able to do nothing without Him, they got in an argument completely indifferent to His humility into the suffering that lay before him and were concerned about big number one, self, at the expense of the rest of the body of Christ. Walking over their own brethren, trying to get to the top. If you want to get to the top in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And follow the example of Jesus. Back in Philippians... Chapter 2, verse 5, before it goes into the discussion about Jesus and his humility, it says, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. I would like to take that a step further, and I think you'll agree that if you allow that mind to be in you, you must necessarily allow the actions to follow that are consistent with him as well. It's not enough to have that mind. We have to be doers and not just hearers of the word. Now, Jesus, in that mind and those actions that followed, eventually went to the cross. Painful place. He also told us, commanded us, to take up our crosses daily and follow him. And I'd like to read something to you from a commentary by A.W. Tozer about our pride in the cross. He says, This ancient curse, pride, will not go out painlessly. The tough old miser within us will not lie down and die obedient to our command. He must be torn out of the heart like a plant from the soil. He must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from the jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple. And we shall need to steel ourselves against his piteous begging and to recognize it as springing out of self-pity, one of the most reprehensible sins of the human heart. The thing that I want to try and get across to you this morning, again, is not an exhaustive study in humility. 
I want to try and remind us of the fact that we're not as humble as we might think we are and that we've got a long ways to go. And the examples of how we act in light of the Scriptures and and comparing ourselves with the example of Jesus Christ indict us. And and they reveal to us the fact that 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 pride and that self-love and that human nature is deep, deep set within us. And a lot of times it requires pain in coming out. And humility is painful for your flesh. And like Tozer said, you've got to guard against self-pity, a reprehensible sin that will combat against the work of God's Spirit in, in your life as you seek to humble yourself or if you have the courage enough to ask God to humble you. And I'd like to close with a little story. This is an allegory from a book called Hind's Feet on High Places about a girl by the name of Much Afraid having left the valley of Much Trembling and having been invited by the chief shepherd to accompany him to the high places and the point of their departure being the Valley of Humiliation. She's required to take two other guides with her, actually, companions in travel. And she is really encouraged to hold both by the hand for the duration of her journey. She's not always willing to do this. And when I tell you their names, you'll understand why. Their names are suffering and sorrow. Now, I'm going to pick up the story at a point in her journey as she's kneeling beside an altar at a place called the Grave of the Mountain where she must sacrifice her self-love and pride to the chief shepherd. She knelt there quite alone in the cold, calmy mist beside the desolate altar in the Valley of Shadow and into her mind came the words which bitterness had flung at her long before when she walked the shores of loneliness. Sooner or later, when he gets you up on the wild places of the mountains, he will put you on some sort of cross and abandon you to it. As she knelt at the altar with one final effort of failing strength, grasped the human natural love and pride and desire growing in her heart and struggled to tear them out. At the first touch, it was though anguish pierced through every nerve and fiber And she knew with a pang, almost of despair, that the roots had wound and twined and thrust themselves into every part of her being. Though she put forth all her remaining strength in the most desperate effort to wrench them out, not a single rootlet stirred. Speaking of our inability to deal with pride on our own. At that, the indistinct figure behind the altar stepped forward and said quietly, I am the priest of this altar. I will take it out of your heart if you wish. Much afraid, turned toward him instantly. Oh, thank you, she said. I beg you to do so. He came and stood beside her, his form indistinct and blurred by the mist, and then she continued entreatingly, I am a very great coward. I am afraid that the pain may cause me to try to resist you. Notice what she says. Will you bind me to the altar in some way so that I cannot move? 
giving the Lord permission to do that work in her life, binding her to the altar so that she has no choice but to learn humility, to have pride wrenched from the depths of her carnal heart. I would not like to be found struggling with the will of my, while the will of my Lord is done. Then the priest answered, It is well said, I will bind you to the altar. And then he bound her hand and foot. With that, the priest put forth a hand of steel right into her heart. There was a sound of rending and tearing and the human love and pride with all its myriad rootlets and fibers came forth. He held it up for a moment and then said, Yes, it was ripe for removal. The time had come. There is not a rootlet torn or missing. When he had said this, he cast it down on the altar and spread his hands above it. There came a flash of fire which seemed to rend the altar, and after that nothing but ashes remained, either of the love and pride itself, which had been so deeply planted in her heart, or of the suffering and sorrow which had been her companions on that long, strange journey. You know, most of our suffering and sorrow is the result of our own pride. And when it's gone, the pride is gone, and the suffering sorrow is gone. Because Jesus said, if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. But if you try and find it, you'll lose it. And I think that you can apply that to your everyday life in terms of how you relate to people, how humble you are before them, whether or not you're honest in your relationships. It, it's not simply talking about dying a martyr or, or dying a physical death. It's talking about dying daily for Jesus Christ, taking up your cross and following Him. And He said if we're not willing to do that, we're not worthy of Him. A sense of utter, overwhelming rest and peace engulfed much afraid. Then, utterly exhausted, she fell asleep. I don't believe that we can, on our own, assume the humility of Jesus, for our pride is too deep-rooted. And indeed, the Lord does command us and encourage us and exhort us to humble ourselves before Him. But I believe there needs to be a previent work of His Spirit within our hearts enabling us to do that. And it begins with prayer, by asking Him to draw us to Himself, to give us that capacity. It's got to be slain on the altar of self-sacrifice. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. It might be that we need to be willing to ask the high priest, Jesus Christ, to bind us to that altar of sacrifice. But I would not do that in a lighthearted manner. I would definitely search my heart deep and wide and prepare my heart in prayer before asking the Lord to do that type of work because God is looking for a place to happen. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord goes to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for a man whose heart is mature toward him, that he may show himself strong on his behalf. That tells me that they are few and far between. And there are not many people that are willing to stand head and shoulders above the rest of the Christian community by actually kneeling down and being the least among the greatest, and thereby becoming the greatest through their humility and willingness to serve. 
A.W. Tozer said, if one will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. To a great extent, the maturity, the depth of maturity that you have between, that you have in Jesus Christ is your own choice. Your willingness to do things His way, to be obedient to His word, to lay yourself down on the altar of sacrifice. You can settle for less and still go to heaven. But I believe you'll regret it when you stand before Him, as will I, for the times that I've held back. And Jesus said that He would wipe away every tear. I believe that the majority of those tears are going to be shed because at that point in time, we are going to fully realize how selfish we've been, how much we've limited Him, how often we've built altars to ourselves and refused to become humble before the Lord. 